today on episode 60, I'm going to tell you about one of my all-time favorite attractions in North Carolina, and that is, of course, the North Carolina Zoo. Now, if you love animals, or at least conservation, stay tuned to hear about the largest natural habitat zoo in the world. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. I'm pretty excited about this episode because, like I said, the North Carolina Zoo is by far one of my most favorite attractions in the state. But not only is this one of my favorite attractions, this is also a listener suggestion. The North Carolina Zoo was suggested by Bill from Carthage. Thank you, Bill, for the suggestion. And I'm sorry to hear about uh, the pick and pig out there. For those of you who don't know, the pick and pig is one of my favorite barbecue restaurants, and tragically, it burnt down recently. But a lot of barbecue restaurants in the area have pitched in money and they're going to rebuild the pick and pig. And uh, that is really good news and I can't wait to eat at the new restaurant. Anyway, getting back on topic, if you wanted to suggest an episode or just reach out to me, you can do that from the website by visiting www.dnceverythingpodcast.com. And speaking of that, I did receive a really nice email from Rip from Smithfield, North Carolina. Uh, he had some really good things to say about the show. And he had, uh, I think, five or six suggestions. So thank you, Rip, for writing in, and I can't wait to get started on a few of those. And the last thing I want to say before we get into the content is that for the past week, I've been training a couple guys at work. And normally, I don't, I don't talk much at work. I kind of work by myself. But now that I'm training these guys, I'm having to yell over top of some pretty loud equipment. And so my voice is a little scratchy today, and it probably will be for a little while longer. I don't know if that scratchiness is coming through the microphone or not, but uh, I do apologize if I sound a little different. And now let's get on with the episode. Now I said in the opening that the North Carolina Zoo was the largest natural habitat zoo on the planet. And this is a true statement, but it seems like it's caused some uh, some arguing on social media. Uh, nothing too aggressive, but um, there is some debate about it being the, the largest zoo on the planet. Now that's where the, the rub is. Because if you Google what the largest zoo in the world is, sometimes it comes up with the North Carolina Zoo and sometimes it comes up with other zoos. Um, the North Carolina Zoo isn't necessarily the largest zoo in the world. It's the largest natural habitat zoo in the world. And we'll get into that more later, but there's a difference between a regular zoo and a natural habitat zoo. But before I get down too deep into the North Carolina Zoo, you know how the show goes. I got to give you kind of a rundown on the history of zoos. Now, the word zoo itself didn't even come out until the 1800s as a short version of the word zoological garden. Some of the first collections of animals that even resembled a zoo were owned by kings and emperors, and they were a sign of, of royalty and wealth and prestige. And the way these royal families ended up with these animals was, um, the diplomatic travelers who traveled around for the, the respective royal family, they would go from kingdom to kingdom. And when they would visit these foreign kingdoms, a lot of times they would bring animals from their nation as a gift to the leaders of the nation that they were visiting. And that's how a lot of these kings and emperors would have this menagerie of exotic animals. Now, one example of this would be in the 8th century, the Emperor Charlemagne was gifted elephants from the monarchs of Africa and Asia. Now, the son of William the Conqueror, he kept camels, leopards, lions, lynxes, owls, and porcupines. 
Now, like I said a minute ago, the word zoo didn't come around until the 1800s, and this was during the Renaissance. What would happen is people would move the animals from these royal menageries into these things called zoological gardens, and they would do this so they could study these animals for science. The first zoological garden ever created for scientific study was actually the London Zoo, and that was created in 1828. Now, shortly after that, in 1831, the Dublin Zoo was created for the medical study of animals. And then, in 1860, the Central Park Zoo opened, and it became the first zoo built in the United States. And there's a little bit of arguing about that, too. Some people say that the Philadelphia Zoo was the first zoo in the United States. I think the reason for this discrepancy is because the Philadelphia Zoo was supposed to open in 1859, but because of the American Civil War, it got delayed. Now, the thing about these early zoos is that they were simply a series of cages sitting around in a grassy yard or field. But this all changed in 1907 when a guy named Carl Hagenbeck from Stellingen, Germany, started using moats to contain animals instead of cages. He also started building natural-looking habitats inside these moated areas. But even with the move away from cages, care for the animals came secondary to scientific study and pure entertainment. But then, there was a book written in 1942 by Dr. Heine Hediger, that could also be uh, Heine Hediger, but anyway, she wrote a book in 1942 called Wild Animals in Captivity, and pretty soon this book started becoming pretty popular, it got spread around, and this really started to change the way people would treat animals in zoos. Now, let's bring it on home to North Carolina. There's an organization called the Raleigh JCs. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on the Raleigh JCs, but what I could find out was that they are a group of professionals between the ages of 18 and 40, and they do a whole lot of community service and they encourage leadership development. Another thing they do is coordinate events and community activities, and they provide volunteers and financial support to local charities. Now, it was these guys who got the ball rolling towards a zoo in North Carolina. It started in 1966 when they filed paperwork to set up the Capital City Classic Foundation. By the way, um, as I go through these early stages of the zoo, there's going to be several organizations formed and committees and stuff. Um, it could get kind of complicated, just letting you know. So in 66, they filed the paperwork to set up the Capital City Classic Foundation. Now this Capital City Classic Foundation, they would be one of the first ones to raise money to put toward the zoo. What's cool is that one way that they would raise money would be through the NFL. They held exhibition games in Raleigh. Now, at the same time, they would be up there at the state legislature trying to educate them about the benefits of having a zoo in North Carolina. Well, in 1967, they sponsored an exhibition game between the Washington Redskins and the New York Giants. And 33,000 fans went to Carter-Finley Stadium in Raleigh, and they watched the Redskins beat the Giants 31-13. to and for my football fans out there, I'm sure that's no surprise. What is a surprise is that this game brought in $40,000, and that was twice the budget that the Raleigh JCs had said they needed for the zoo. And so, in 1967, the North Carolina Legislature created the North Carolina Zoological Garden Study Commission. Now, personally, I think they could have made that name a little bit longer, but what do I know? I'm just a podcaster. Anyway, the North Carolina Zoological Garden Study Commission was a nine-member commission, and their job was to look into the feasibility of building a zoo in North Carolina. Now, I'm not exactly sure how they looked into the feasibility of a zoo, 
But they did, and they found that it would be desirable for North Carolina to have a zoo. So what did the commission do next? Well, they created a society. In 1968, the North Carolina Zoological Garden Study Commission created the North Carolina Zoological Society. Now, goal number one for the Zoo Society was to get more funds and gain public support. And also, the society built an authority. This was the North Carolina Zoological Authority, and their job was to oversee the whole project. And the best I could tell, everything was going good on the money and support part of it, but they still needed a place to put the zoo. So while everybody was going back and forth and trying to find a great place for, for the zoo to go, they had to keep something in mind. The zoo authority had 14 conditions that had to be met for the zoo's location. I'm not going to go through all 14 of them, but two that I do want to mention was that the zoo site must cover a thousand acres and the community wherever the zoo is going to be built must pledge $150,000 to the project. Now, it took over two years to find a location that met these terms. Some of the possible locations that came up were Albemarle, Concord, Statesville, Butner, uh, anywhere in Chatham County, really, and Ashboro. And if you look at all those areas on a map, they're in kind of the, the middle part of North Carolina. And that's because they were intentionally looking for a central location in the state to put the zoo in hopes that it would be available for everybody. But I can tell you that where the zoo's at, um, north and south-wise, it's not that far from the, the state lines. But east and west, there's a, a lot of land between the zoo and the coast and the zoo in Tennessee. But it is uh, pretty much smack dab in the middle of North Carolina. It just so happens that North Carolina is a, a long state. But I skipped ahead there for a second. In 1971, they found the perfect spot. It was 1,005 acres in Ashboro, which is in Randolph County. Now, kind of a side note here, the area they picked included Purgatory Mountain, which really doesn't sound very inviting, but it is a very cool name. Well, the powers that be bought the land for $150 per acre. And then the legislature passed a $2 million bond for the project. And finally, they formed a new North Carolina Zoological Society. And this society would be formed in Ashboro. Also, in the next five weeks, they were able to raise $435,000 to match the legislature's $2 million bond. Now, the plan all along was for the North Carolina Zoo to be unlike any other zoo in the world. The idea was to have the habitats arranged as geographical clusters. They wanted each habitat to resemble the landscape to which that respective animal was native to. And lastly, they wanted each habitat to contain plants that came from that respective animal's natural home. Now, as far as barriers go, we've already kind of mentioned some of this, but they wanted the barriers to pretty much be invisible. And so they would use moats and other ways of hiding any kind of fence line. And that's because they wanted the visitors to kind of feel like they were walking in the wild. Now, again, I don't want to jump too far ahead in the timeline here, but when you go to the zoo today, um, some of the barriers around the, the animals, it looks like this dark green, tall grass. Well, th those uh, stalks of grass are actually electrified wires. Now, to get back on the timeline, all these ideas for this big grand zoo, well, they sound really good and they probably look really good on paper, but they had to start somewhere. So what they did was they built a, a small 30-acre zoo uh, just for the meantime. Now, this temporary zoo had a small welcoming area and a few offices, 
and they built nine chain-link paddocks for animals. And in 1974, the first animals arrived at the North Carolina Zoo. It was a pair of giant Galapagos tortoises named Tort and Retort. In August of that same year, 1974, Lieutenant Governor James B. Hunt dedicated the North Carolina Zoo. Now, even though the zoo was still in its early stages, that first year they received thousands of visitors. Pretty soon, other animals would start arriving, including otters, rhinos, gibbons, and a tiger. Eventually, the zoo received an African elephant named Cesar and a chimpanzee named Hondo. By the end of 1974, there were 250 animals in all. Towards the end of 1974, construction began on the actual North Carolina Zoo, and the official opening of the actual North Carolina Zoo was August 13, 1976. Now, some of my older listeners may remember a chimpanzee named Ham. For those of you who don't know who Ham is, he was the first hominoid to leave the Earth and go into space. Well, in 1978, Ham was moved to the Asheboro Zoo from the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., and he lived here in Asheboro until his death in 1983. Now, I couldn't tack down an exact date, but somewhere around 1980, the first African habitat opens. It was a four and a half acre forest, and it had a, a grassland landscape too. Now, this area would be for zebras, giraffes, and ostriches. The temporary zoo closed in 1983, and today they use the site for composting. But I read that if you're heading to the zoo along the entrance road, look at, look at the top of the hill to the right as you're approaching the North American region, and that's the area where the temporary zoo used to be located. And speaking of the North America region... It was in 1986 when that idea took off. Of course, they needed money, so there was some fundraising to be done, but construction on the North America side of the zoo started in April of 1987. And in 1993, the first North American exhibits were finished. One of the first exhibits finished was the Sonora Desert Habitat. And it must have been right around this time when I took my very first trip to the zoo. Um, I feel like the first time I ever went to the zoo, the, the Sonora Desert Habitat was under construction, but I might have went right after it was complete. Um, I really can't remember, but um, it was right around this time in 1993. Now, I went with my elementary school on a field trip, and I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And, you know, in 1993, I was 10 years old. I'd, I'd never seen a zoo before, not in real life anyway. And I fell in love immediately, and I've been in love ever since. The funny thing is, is as I got older, um, you know, late middle school, high school, and in my early 20s, I didn't go as much. Um, you know, it, it's about an hour from my house, but then I had kids, and then I can get away with that kind of stuff again. And I know it's not quite like seeing a SpongeBob movie, but I had a reason to drive an hour down the road to go to the zoo. And we go multiple times every year now, but I'm not trying to jump ahead again. The following year, in 1994, they added four more North American exhibits, and these were the Rocky Coast, the Cypress Swamp, the Marsh, and the Touch and Learn Center, which eventually became the Kids Zone. In 1995, they added seven more habitats to North America. These included the Black Bear Habitat, the Grizzly Bear Habitat, and the Red Wolf Habitat. Well, the last North American habitat added came in 1996, and this was called Streamside. And if you're wondering what all these are, you've never been to the zoo or you're not from North Carolina or not in North Carolina right now, 
I'm going to do kind of a audio tour um, somewhere toward the end of the show. Now, it won't be very long, but I'm going to kind of run through um, what you might see. Now, between 1998 and 2001, they began renovating some parts of the zoo, mostly in Africa. They also built a new African plaza and a pedestrian bridge at the African entrance. Now, what's really cool about the zoo is that their line of sight doesn't end with North Carolina or the United States. Actually, they kind of see the whole world when they're looking for people, places, and things to help. And I tell you that, so I can tell you this. In 2001, after the invasion of Afghanistan, the North Carolina Zoo led efforts to rebuild and maintain the Kabul Zoo. And in 2003, after the invasion of Iraq, the North Carolina Zoo jumped in to help rebuild the Baghdad Zoo. Now let's jump to 2008. The elephants at the zoo stayed in the Watani grassland. Well, in 2008, they expanded the Watani grassland so that they could hold up to 10 elephants and 10 rhinos. And the reason they wanted to hold 10 of each uh, gets into their conservation, which I'm going to go over here in a little bit. The zoo grew even larger in 2010 when they bought an additional 2,000 acres. Now, like I said, after I had kids, or my first kid, I was a, a regular patron at the zoo. And I remember when the polar bear exhibit was closed, I couldn't remember when it had closed, um, like what year, but I remember it being closed for a long time. Turns out, I found out with this research, that it closed in 2011. And that was because they were doing renovations on the polar bear exhibit. Well, that new polar bear exhibit opened in 2014. And I can tell you, it's really, really cool to go down there. Well, now here we are in 2021. And today, the zoo has over 1,100 animals. And those 1,100 animals come from 200 different species. And a couple cool things that I found out about the zoo that I'll insert right here is that the North Carolina Zoo is the home to the largest collection of chimpanzees in America, and it's home to the largest collection of Alaskan seabirds in the country. Now, right now, the zoo, as it sits, takes up about 500 acres. But I've heard some rumors and hearsay about future plans to open up an Asia region and maybe an Australian region. I've also read that they have plans to build a convention center and a hotel overlooking some of the exhibits. The plan is to make the zoo a multi-day destination. Now, personally, I'm excited about the thought of having an Asian and maybe an Australian region, but I'm not too excited about the hotel thing. The reason is, if you walk around the zoo, it's mostly wooded, and I like that a lot. But I'm from the country, which is to say I live in the woods. In addition to me living in the woods, I've hiked in the mountains, and I've hiked at the coast. But walking around the North Carolina Zoo is definitely my favorite walk. And I'd hate to, to lose that to a giant hotel. All right, now still talking about expansion, I have also read that there are plans to build a complex that is dedicated to the aquatic animals of Africa. And I can tell you that currently, or at least as of last time I visited the zoo, they were working on a new baboon exhibit. Now just to clarify, the baboons themselves aren't new. Uh, there's been baboos at the zoo for years. They're just creating a new exhibit for the baboons. Now let's talk about conservation. Outside of uh, having animals for you to see and behind the scenes, the North Carolina Zoo protects and manages the native wildlife in 2,800 acres of land that surround the zoo campus. They've also been breeding red wolves. As a matter of fact, the second largest pack of breeding American red wolves is at the North Carolina Zoo. Now they've also been working really hard to protect the rare frogs of North Carolina, and the same goes for the hellbender. 
And if you don't know what a hellbender is, you should look it up. It's a, a really enormous salamander that's found in North Carolina. It's really cool. And they've done a lot of work outside of North Carolina, too. In fact, outside of the United States. For example, in Africa, they've been trying to help the gorilla population by giving rangers methods of tracking the gorillas. Unfortunately, this can't save all of the gorillas, but if the rangers can track them, they can help them avoid situations that will most likely get them hurt or even killed. And they've also been doing similar work to try to help the elephants, the rhinos, the chimpanzees, and the lions. And that's just a few examples of what the North Carolina Zoo is doing, not only on a national level, but on a global scale to try to protect the planet's wildlife. I remember reading a comment under a North Carolina Zoo post on social media, probably several months ago, and the comment was to the tune of, um, zoos are wrong, it's animal cruelty, animals deserve to be free and wild. And I was really annoyed by this because someone who has never been to a natural habitat zoo, let alone the largest natural habitat zoo in the world, well, they might be picturing paved walkways that trace through a bunch of cages with animals sitting in them. And I really don't think the North Carolina Zoo could be farther from that. I mean, yeah, it's fun to walk around the zoo and see the animals, but spectacular entertainment comes second to animal care and conservation at the North Carolina Zoo. Not only do the animals up there have a far better life than their wild counterparts, they have a whole lot better chance of staying on this earth a lot longer and leaving a lot longer legacy behind. I promise you that if you've never been to the North Carolina Zoo, it's a, a pretty incredible place and, and a really awesome place just to walk around. It's uh, absolutely beautiful up there. And if you are a huge fan of the zoo and you want to kind of see a little bit more, um, they got this show now called Secrets of the Zoo, North Carolina. I think the, the show Secrets of the Zoo has been around a while, but North Carolina just got added to it. And um, me and my wife started watching it pretty recently. I think we're three or four episodes in. And uh, it really goes behind the scenes of what they do for animal care. But uh, I will warn you, it's a it's an emotional show. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, they could call this show North Carolina Zoo Life and Death. I mean, it's um, it's the real deal. They It ain't censored too much, not that I can tell. Um, one other thing I can tell that um, I can't remember his name, but the, the head veterinarian for the zoo, um, this guy is a badass. And really, if you watch the, the, the show, like I said, we've watched four or five episodes. Um, all these folks that work up there at that zoo are, are badasses. I wouldn't necessarily want to have their job because, like I said, it, it I would get emotional about it, kind of like they do. Um, but all the times I've been to the zoo, I would love to go behind the scenes and, and see how the how everything works, you know, that's always been kind of my, my thing. I want to dissect everything and see how everything works, you know, but, um, I would definitely recommend, uh, secrets of the zoo, North Carolina. I think we're streaming on Disney. I think it, it comes out on that, uh, Nat Geo wild, but I'm pretty sure we're streaming it off Disney channel. And, uh, I've never done this before, but I do want to say that I'm not getting paid by the North Carolina zoo to do this episode or advertise the, the secrets of the zoo. Um, I'm just a really huge fan. And that goes for all my episodes. At the moment, I don't have any sponsors. Uh, nobody's paying me to talk good about them. I'm giving you my, my actual thoughts on, on every subject I cover in every episode. All right. Well, I know we're over the 20-minute mark now, but I want to kind of give you a, what I said, an audio tour of the zoo. Um, I'm just going to run you through the what you'll see if you, you get up there. I'm not going to go through every single animal, and it'll, it'll be kind of a rapid tour, but if you've ever been curious about the zoo, but hadn't quite pulled the pin on making that trip to, to Ashboro yet, uh, maybe this will be enough to, to get you over that fence. 
All right, for my little tour here, I'm going to start on the North American side. Now, like I said, you can go to you can start at North America or you can start at Africa. Also, uh, before we even get into the zoo, what's kind of cool is you can park at Africa and take a bus or a tram to North America and then walk the zoo and you'll end up back at your car. And uh, vice versa, it works the other way. You can go to North America and, and take the tram or bus over to Africa. But uh, we always park at North America. So you'll get your spot and you'll go in. And after you get in, there'll be a, a gift shop and some concessions right there at the, the main hub there and uh, or the main entrance. I don't know why I said hub. Anyway, then you'll walk down over a bridge and off to your left, there's a trail going down. And this is a cypress swamp. And this is where they have um, alligators. There's a couple cougars down there. And they also have a hut and that's where you'll see a few snakes. There's a really huge snapping turtle down there. Um, there's some, I, I think there's some salamanders down there. And anyway, that circles back around and you'll go out, you'll keep on down the trail. And next on the right is the Rocky coast. And that's where the polar bears are. Um, there's some seals. There's the Arctic foxes down there. Now those, those Arctic foxes, they're beautiful. They're solid white, but man, they smell, um, foxes. I don't know if you know this, they have a really strong stench, just like a skunk. Um, but anyway, here, uh, backing up to the polar bear and the seals, um, it's multi-level. You can go up top and see them from above, or you can go down below and, uh, you can, it's like under the water level. So you can see them swim around. If, if they're swimming by the glass, you can see them swimming around anyway. Anyway, you'll leave here and you'll, you'll go past the kid zone. And that's kind of an area where you can, uh, you send your kids in there and you know, there's like little crafts and games for them to do. And it's pretty educational. Then you'll get to another area with uh, some more concession stands, and there's a playground there, which my kids never pass by. They uh, they have to stop for at least at least ten minutes every time. Usually it's longer. You keep up the trail and the paved trail. By the way, I say trail, but it's uh it's paved all the way. Keep heading up the trail, and then you get to Streamside. Now Streamside, it's inside of a structure. Um, and you go in there and, uh, they have snakes and all kinds of freshwater fish. And then when you go out the other side, you immediately see the, the otter enclosure, you head up the steps and then there's a, a bobcat. sometimes there's two bobcats. Um, you can kind of see them. They're not very active. They just kind of lay around in the sun. You know how cats do from here. You've got a little bit of a walk uphill. Uh, remember it's purgatory mountain or I don't know if this is on Purgatory Mountain, but that's in the general area, and it's a it's a very hilly area. So anyway, you head up the hill, and then you'll get to the black bear enclosure and the grizzly bear enclosure. And then from here, as you're walking, you'll be walking alongside the prairie. Now out in the prairie, there's elk and there's bison, and it's a, a really large area. There's several viewpoints for the prairie. And it's also in this general general area, not in the prairie, but they have a red wolf enclosure. And uh, usually, usually there are several of them out there. And by this point, you're walking downhill again. So you get kind of halfway down this hill, and there's this weird-looking dome building. And this is the Sonora Desert Building. It's one of my favorite buildings on the, on the zoo campus. Um, again, it's a structure. And you go in, and they have the humidity set for, like, the desert. I mean, I guess it's the humidity. But if you go in, like, July or August, you know how it is here in North Carolina— you go in there and it's, it's hot, but it's not as hot as it was outside. And so it's gotta be the, the humidity. Um, it's a really cool place and in the desert, um, you'll immediately see the roadrunner enclosure and there's all kinds of birds in there. This place is full. 
Um, there's several kinds of lizards and tortoises. Um, the past few times we went, this is where the porcupine was. And if you remember earlier when I said the idea was to have plants from each uh, habitat in the enclosure, well, inside this Sonora Desert enclosure, there's all kinds of uh, desert plants and a lot of cactus. There's cactus everywhere. So you go through here and then you enter this, uh, you're still in the building, but you enter this dark cave looking thing and um, that's where the bats are. So you uh, go out of the bat area and you're back outside. You walk back around the building and uh, I forgot to mention it, but in front of the place, you can see it on the way out. Uh, there's an ocelot enclosure. Then you head down the hill a little bit farther and there's the honeybee garden and it's really cool. They have a structure there. And if you remember the old um, um, ant farms you could get where you could see the ants tunneling, well, they have a similar things for honeybees and it's uh, no danger to you. I'm, I'm sure of that, but you can walk up and depending on what time of year it is, you can see the honeybee hive, I guess, or honeybee nest. And you can see all the bees working in there and um, they challenge you to try to find the queen in there. I've actually never found her yet. Uh, I probably need somebody to point her out. And all around this bee structure, there's all kinds of uh, literature about bees and bee facts. And you can really learn a, a whole lot of information in a, a short time in that little spot. So you keep on heading down the hill from here and then you hit the junction. Um, and there's a few junctions throughout the trail, but this is the big one. Um, there's a carousel. There's several restaurants. Um, a couple gift shops there. Well, actually, I think it's a couple gift shops there. Um, you can catch the tram there or you can get off the tram there. It's a kind of a big plaza there. Um, and it's a, it kind of marks the, the separation between North America and Africa. So when you leave here, uh, you go down this, this trail and you head through this patch of bamboo. And if you look close, you'll see some flamingos and you can go up and see all these flamingos just chilling. But these flamingos are right outside my favorite building on the whole zoo property. And that's the forest aviary. And so imagine a, a giant greenhouse sort of thing. And you go in here and it's all kinds of tropical plants. And there's a ton of tropical birds in there. And you'll see some of, some of the most beautiful plants you've ever seen. And these birds, they're not in cages. They're flying around your head and they're, they're three or four feet away sitting on a tree. And they're landing on a on a guardrail, uh, you know, right in front of you and kind of like the, the plants, uh, these birds, they're incredible. There's, uh, there's ibises and you know what? Ibis is the only one I can remember, but they're all tropical birds and, uh, they're, they're really cool looking. Actually, I say tropical birds. I guess they're probably African birds. Anyway, I'll probably have some pictures, uh, in the show notes. I've taken a lot of pictures over the years at the zoo. So, uh, you can kind of check that out. Anyway, you leave the, the aviary and then you head up the hill as more hills um, and you'll get to the gorilla enclosure. And usually that's where a huge crowd is. You might have to wait a few minutes to get up to the glass to be able to see. And these gorillas are most time they're just out there chilling out. You'll see them sitting in the shade and sometimes they're, they're munching on something. But uh, it is very cool to see these gorillas, especially when they come and sit right up next to the glass, which they do a lot. Well, then you head back downhill again. And you can go one of two ways, left or right. We're going to go right, but don't worry, you're not missing anything because it makes a big loop. So you head right, and then you can see the lemur island. And this is uh, like kind of like I mentioned earlier in the episode. It's a, a little plot of land surrounded by a moat. And you'll see the lemurs out there, and they're hanging out too. They're sitting in hammocks that are sitting out there, or they're kind of walking around. 
a little farther down the trail and you'll see a cutoff that takes you down to the chimpanzee area. Uh, that's another pretty popular area. A lot of times there's a crowd down there and these chimpanzees, they, they really like sitting up close to the glass. So you can go down there and, uh, they got a few shelters down there and, and you can read all about chimpanzees and, and, uh, really get some good information. And then you can go under the shelter there and, uh, there's two viewing points for the chimpanzees. And uh, it's really cool if you get a chance to get up kind of close to them. And then you head back out of there, down the road, or down the trail a little ways. You get to see two lions laying out in the sun. Again, cats, uh, during the day, the cats don't really do a whole lot, but kind of sleep, I guess. And so you can watch the, the lions sleep for a little while. And I'm not downplaying lions. They're really cool, but they're usually laid out in the sun asleep. Next, you'll come up to the Red River Hogs. And if you're wondering what a Red River Hog is, it kind of looks like a warthog i mean it may be a warthog or in the warthog family i'm not sure and now you'll start to begin your your loop like i said it loops back around and what you see off to your left is the giraffe enclosure and i'm i say giraffe enclosure um it's always giraffes and zebras and a lot of times it's giraffes zebras and ostriches o ostriches i think i said that weird Anyway, this is the African tram stop. If you were to park in the African parking lot and come in from that way, this is where you'd come in at right here behind the giraffes. Um, in that African tram stop, there's a couple gift shops. I think there's some, some other vendors. I think there's a food vendor there. Anyway, you can get on the tram here and head back to North America. Or uh, if you got on in North America, you can get off here and start your zoo, uh, zoo trek. Anyway, from here, you're heading uphill again, and you'll go uphill for a little ways, and off to the right, you'll see the Watani Grasslands Reserve, and this is where you're going to see elephants, and the rhinos, and the antelopes, and there's some other mammals out there. That's the best I can sum it up. Um, some of these look like uh, versions of deer. They're African mammals. I can't remember what all of them are called, and I don't think I can necessarily pronounce it correctly anyway. But it's probably, uh, in my opinion, it's probably the largest enclosure at the zoo. It looks like an African plane. Um, and what that means is not all these animals are going to be up close and personal. A lot of times elephants get pretty close. But those uh, mammals I was talking about, usually you can see them at a distance. And a lot of times there's ostriches out here too. Well, you head out of this area. And uh, if you look, you'll still see the, the giraffe um, enclosure there. Well, what you'll also see is the, the giraffe feeding deck. And for like $3, you can go up on top of this deck and you're literally nose to nose with a giraffe. And you can feed him and there's a lady up there, or it could be a man, but there's a person up there. And they're, uh, they'll, they'll tell you about the giraffes and kind of educate you on that. But it's really cool to be that close to a giraffe. And from here, if you go up the hill, it's not open yet. But up the hill from the giraffe feeding station, that's where the new baboon exhibit is going to go. Now, as of right now, um, November 2021, it's still under construction. But you can kind of see the building. And I think I read that it's going to it's supposed to look like ancient ruins. Um, but the building itself looks really cool already. And by this point, you have finally made it through the zoo. Now you have two options. You can keep heading up the hill, past the gorillas again, and walk back the way you came, all the way to the, the North America. Or you can head back down the hill to that African um, depot and catch the tram back to where you came from. 
I can tell you that uh, in years past and, and still right now, me and my wife will we'll walk all the way through the zoo and then we'll turn around and walk back. Um, we have taken the tram on the really hot days, but the few times that we have walked all the way through and all the way back, it was uh, right at eight miles. Now, I think if you look at the, the map or the brochure, it'll tell you less than that. Um, you know, we're going by the pedometers on our phone and that includes walking you know, back and forth sometimes in front of these exhibits and all the extra walking we do. But, um, yeah, it's about eight miles for us. And that is all I have on the North Carolina zoo. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy hearing my voice, then take a second and subscribe to the show and you'll be notified when a new episode comes out every week. If you're interested in seeing any photographs that go with this episode, go to www.dnceverythingpodcast.com. There you can hear all my past episodes or you can click the episodes tab and then you can click the episode name for uh, whatever episode you want to see some pictures for and that will pop up right there. Also, you can hit the contact button and there you can reach out and tell me hello, tell me what you thought about the show, or you can suggest episodes. And if you want to be a super fan, you can join my DNC Everything Podcast Facebook group. Just get on there and search for the NC Everything Podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest. And I think that's just about everything, so I'll talk to you next time. The music in this episode comes from ArchesAudio.com and FreePD.com. <laughs>